Hey friends, you gotta watch Skip Plus. We are a movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. And obviously, each week, you can tune in and we will tell you whether to watch or skip a new theatrical film or even a new streaming film. What is that plus? Well, the plus is basically a bonus review before we give you the big show. And that bonus review is going to basically be anything that has stuck with us or we can't let go of for the past week. I think I've talked about dreams and bidets before. And Justin has done uh, video games and something called um, pro wrestling. Uh, I don't know. Nah, anyway, I've never heard of it. <laughs> anyway, Ooh, I'm nice. here. I am Cupcake, also known as Machine Gun Jelly, Jose, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Cinemasochist, Justin, aka Justin the Red. Red, what's going on with your voice? <laughs> so I will explain why I lost my voice more in my plus. Uh, I am not sick, but I attended something that caused me to lose my voice but again i i will save that uh if, if it gets too bad maybe i'll just talk like this whole episode so thankfully though we are not alone this week so i have not just jose but another trusty almost co-host at this point he is our I most am. guest or frequently guested guest host and that is the one and only Masaki. Landon, how are you doing? Hello. Uh, I'm good. Son of Samurai. And we have to have Masaki on, Landon on, because we are reviewing a comic book film. And this is the animated Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is the sequel to the... Uh, actually, it cleaned up that year. Uh, it won an Oscar for Best Animated Feature, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, so it is an animated film that runs at two hours and 25 minutes. When have you heard of an animated film that does that? I don't know. But nonetheless... Uh, every anime episode. <laughs> that, that is true. If we went to the anime world, that might, <laughs> yeah, might be that, a little bit close. Absolutely. So if we were talking like, uh, what, what's the, uh, Mi Miyazaki, if we're talking about Miyazaki, yes. Or Akira, like two hours, 20 minutes, but, huh? They stole my name. No. <laughs> it's actually Masaki versus Miyazaki. Yeah, exactly. It has the Saki. I don't care. That's <laughs> Yes, exactly. But yeah, just, I mean, typically our animated films, even like the Transformers movie or like the Disney movies, they're typically 90 minutes, an hour and 45, but this is two hours and a half. Is it going to be worth it? I don't know. We're going to get to that. But in the meantime, we have some pluses. Who would like to go first? Landon, you're the guest, and I would like to defer to you. We're also okay. going to... Justin. <laughs> Justin's <laughs> also going to... Uh, drink some tea or something while Masaki's going. So go for it. So where should we start? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, deb I, I, I'm debating between two right now, and I don't know which one is better. You yes. might as well do both of them. So start with one. <laughs> yes. Okay. So like two or three weeks ago, I was at the Cincinnati's Reds versus the Yankees game. Excellent. Who are you rooting for? Oh, Please don't say uh, the Yankees. Reds, because my dad's okay. a Yankees fan. I hate <laughs> yeah, my dad's a Yankees fan. I go against him in everything. I don't care if I hate the team. 
if my dad, I don't care if I hate the other team, my dad likes, if they're playing my dad's team, I'm going for a team I hate. Oh, this good. feels very healthy. Anyway, continue. No, it is. It's <laughs> brought so many happy family memories. Pulling <laughs> at each other, me yelling at Kenny Pickett, throwing an interception or whatever. But continuing. So it was a three-game series. I think the Yankees might have swept. Mm. Mm. They might have. Quick I think we know who won might've. there, right? <laughs> All right, uh, but it was a good game. <laughs> it was speechless. Close game. <laughs> okay, it was a close game until it went to well, it went to extra innings, and then you know, Anthony Rizzo had to hit it out of park. Whatever, and then the score was like seven four, but it was a very interesting time. I bet he's gonna walk in the room because he heard the word Rizzo. You're like if you Rizzo, say Rizzo. if you say like a Yankees player, he summons like Yankees I, Rizzo's. Oh, it's like Candyman. Nope, not yet. Uh, anyway, actually, you know what? He's downstairs playing as the Yankees right now. I get money <laughs> on it. Um, yeah. What okay. was your second one? What was go for it? Just go for it. Uh, I was gonna go for one of the movie trailers. Oh, do it, do it. What did you say? It's just interesting to me that um, yeah, that movie. Uh huh. Yeah. Gran Turismo. Yeah, that. Oh, actually, you know what? I saw that trailer, too. I have some thoughts. What did you think about it? I was kind of confused because it came out of nowhere. I think it's going to be just okay. Yeah. It doesn't look special. It doesn't look bad. It's just like at the okay line. Like, there's nothing crazy about it. I, I do think taking a property like a video game. And they've done it with Need for Speed and all that. And then going, oh, but we're actually going to base it on a true story about how we created this tournament where video gamers be- became an actual racer. That is kind of unique. And the fact that Zeal Blomkamp, threw- I t- somehow never found out he was doing this. So I saw the trailer whenever I saw it, probably before Spider-Verse. Uh, and his name came up. I was like, wait, Blomkamp's directing this? That yeah. made me more intrigued. I don't know how well the actual film looks. I do, cu- or it's going to turn out. I, d- I do agree that it looks just okay. But I do think it's very unique that here's a game adaptation, but technically it's not. Or it's not what you're expecting from your traditional video game adaptation. So that's at least unique. So Masaki, yeah. did you did you were you excited by it? Do you want? No. Are you just? I'm gonna in- see it. Okay. I'm gonna see it, of course, but no, I'm not excited. But, yeah, uh, I, I hate to what say. Are you, it's- a, what are you, a Cinemascus in training? I'm not excited, <laughs> but I'm gonna go see it. I'm gonna go see it, but doesn't mean I'm gonna watch it. No. Well, this is so. This was my reaction to the trailer. Okay. <sighs> <sighs> Mm. Did the movie start yet? Yeah, it was boring. Like I was like Blomkamp passed on Alien for this. Anyway, I'm I'm sure it's good, and I am I'm interested to see David Harbor because I always love David Harbor, and the cast does look cute and adorable. But it it just for a video game property, I enjoy that they took a different route to it. But I I don't know. I may just have to. Wait and see. The trailer does make it look too much like a generic underdog story. I think that's its biggest issue, but I'm almost kind of hopeful that maybe it's just a matter of 
it's more unique or creative than we're expecting and they don't know how to market it because they're going to want to market this as a summer tent pole to a degree. Yeah. I mean, it's late August, but uh, they're promoting as summer. So I don't know if maybe it's not as action packed or if it's more clever or if this is just they, they gave Blomkamp a bunch of money. Curious that he passed on Alien, but maybe they also didn't give him control. Again, that has me more intrigued than anything. It's just the fact that it's Blomkamp, but we'll see. Hopefully the trailer is unfinished in terms of post-production because it has that red camera quality where everything is so sharp and detailed. It looks yeah. almost like a documentary and I visually I'm not jazzed. I, I don't at like all. that visuals and I have a strong <laughs> feeling that that's intentional. Maybe it'll look good. But yeah, but I don't know because you're not filming it the way you would film so, like uh, a rate. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, we'll we, have to. As we we'll said with Guardians, when you were on Masaki, that one actually did make Red look pretty good. Uh, I mean, I make it look the best, Waka Waka. But uh, <laughs> I do think that's just where film is unfortunately going. And hopefully it'll eventually smooth itself out, just like the dawn of digital. Eventually it did smooth itself out. Yeah. But let's let's hope. Okay, uh, Red, your plus. All right. So if you are all wondering, as I hinted, I am recovering from a lost voice. And that's because over the weekend, I went up to LaSalle University, which is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And for the third time in my life, I competed or joined in. I didn't compete in the 24-hour game show marathon. What this is, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago when I plus my good friend, Chris Carrion, uh, he was on the Game Show Show, which was a documentary series that is all on Hulu. He was interviewed because he's a game show historian and one of the founders, and or at least writers of Buzzer Blog, and he was one of the founders of the Game Show Marathon. So, well over a decade ago, they had created out of this idea of watching like stuff like Laugh-Ins and all of those charity streams that you would watch on television where they would go for 12 or 24 hours and people would call in and you would donate money to charity. They wouldn't do that for game shows because he grew up as a fan of game shows, but that's as popular as they are. That's not something you expect kids to become obsessed over and, as, and stick with it as they get older. He found a community just like we have found our movie community and with some friends they started i believe at a when he was in college like using their radio station and then did it at one of the guys's apartments one year and now are back at LaSalle where one of the founders Corey went to college and what it is is they program for 24 hours they stream it on Twitch and elsewhere on the website go gameshowmarathon.com Game shows. They recreate classic current game shows. I'll give you just a quick rundown of this year's list. So it's a game show every hour. Uh, this year it was America Says, Split Second, Person, Place, or Thing, Switch, Talk About, Jeopardy, Money Bags, Win Dave Mattingly's Money, which is a takeoff on Win Ben Stein's Money, Yes, The Wheel, <laughs> The Weakest Link, 1000 Heartbeats, Mock the Week, Mastermind, Match Game, Countdown, Pressure Luck, who wants to build a millionaire? Quizmania, Tic Tac Toe, Super Dice Q, Wheel of Fortune, all clued up, concentration, and then they always end with deal or no deal, which is just all the founders playing that together. All of those, some of those you probably knew, some of them you didn't, because they might have been game shows from the 60s, 70s that maybe ran briefly or ran for a while, but never got revamped like your match games. Some of them, like Super Dice Q, are Japanese imports. And they create all these from scratch. They uh, Some of them are programmers for a living. So they program the actual visuals for the game and the actual programming that makes the games run. And they have us, anybody who is willing to come, act as contestants. So we all sign up. I was on quite a few of these games. 
and we just play them when we live stream and they're all incredibly funny human beings that's the other big thing uh they're big into comedy so that helps keep the flow going but we had just people all over the world quiz mania we actually they started last year that was a game show in which you would have uh people call in and answer questions we had actual people watching call in and get answers to a question that's and awesome Charity that they raise money for is Child's Play, which it it helps sick children and it gives them resources such as Nintendo Switches, DSs, any video game sources, so they can have some normalcy. So amidst having very uh, crippling illnesses, they get to still be kids for a little bit. And that's something that Mm. we tend to forget about in, in those moments of, you know, the parents and the doctors being really worried that kids are getting robbed of their youth. So this gives them some bright spots. Uh, when we closed out and I left on Sunday, they were a little over just at 10,000. You could still donate at gameshowmarathon.com. They're going to keep it open for another couple of weeks. I think last year was a little over 11,000 that they raised. It's a lot of fun. I lost my voice mainly because uh, they sometimes like to be very cute. And for just per pre- pressure luck, which is around three four in the morning uh they decided just to add a bunch of spaces that aren't on the normal one and one that started last year was spin fever where you they play like kooky music and <sighs> they got us all in there to scream with them so that's why i lost my voice it was like i was in a mosh pit it is an absolute lot of fun even if you know nothing about game shows it's so infectious their energy that you once you're there they're so welcoming and everyone is just so cordial and loving of each other that it's it rubs off on you you can also watch every single game show eventually they're going to upload it all to their youtube channel which is also found on gameshowmarathon.com so you can also go back to all the nine previous ones they've done it's just so much fun folks and there is i believe we call them the f trees i will keep it at that but just like we try to be on our best behavior when we have uh masaki on here we do from up until about midnight i'd say and then from midnight to maybe 6 a.m i think it is uh all is let loose and we can be as vulgar as we want but everything else we try our best not to be naughty or filthy and every now and then i slip up because the reason even though i have actually tried out to be on game shows uh i always say the reason it's a good thing i haven't is uh if i'm in the middle of a game and it doesn't go my way i might accidentally drop the s or the f-bomb and i did that actually at like 11 a.m so again apologies oh Uh, okay, so my plus is, and I teased this on our Instagram as well, Freevee, which uh, used to be IMDb Television and now is called Freevee, which I think is the worst friggin' name for <laughs> for a HBO Max to Max. Just don't say that. I know Max. I I'm not happy about Max either, but. Come on, Freevee, anyway. Max is at least a better name than Freevee, though. That's the what, the fourth time HBO has changed its name from yeah. HBO Go to now be, to HBO now Max. It, to next Max. is going to be Axe, and then it's just going to be mm. Mm. Gonna Next going is going to be HM, yeah. Mm. Oh, what's on mm tonight? Anyway, um, so Freevee has a TV show called Jury Duty. This is a, it's a comedy. You guys can binge it really quickly. There are half-hour episodes. There are seven total, and then there is a sort of like reveal eighth episode that shows you behind the scenes. So the idea behind this show, Jury Duty, which is the creation of uh, Lee Eisenberg, who is known for The Office, uh, the film Year One, Little America, Bad Teacher. He's also he was a producer on that, and Gene Stupnitsky, 
um, who is Ukrainian. And yes, he's gorgeous because he's Ukrainian, but he's also a writer on films like Good Boys, Year One, Bad Teacher, and was a producer on The Office. So created by those guys, what this follows is a series of people who are picked to be a jury for a civil trial. The civil trial involves a t-shirt factory owner who is suing a worker for an incident that happened and trying to get damages. So what's interesting about this comedy show is everything, there, there is one juror and his name is Ronald... Gladden is his name, okay? So Ronald Gladden is one of the jurors who's sort of the focus of this show. And what's what's funny is the concept of the show is essentially that everyone, from the bailiff to the people in the courtroom to the judge, everyone except for Ronald is an actor or an improv actor. So it's all completely faked. And the only person not in on the joke is this Ronald Gladden who answered a Craigslist ad and they basically just did this improv show around him. And it is fantastic. There are some things that happen here that are just, they're so laugh out loud funny. And the show is great. You guys really do have to check it out. And that reveal episode is is it's pretty magical because they go behind the scenes and they tell you all of these things there's one major criticism of uh that i have of the show which is so the concept is basically yeah you know this man is being put into essentially the truman show right the office meets truman show where he thinks everything is happening but it's all just staged reality the one criticism i have about this show is that it's uh it, it's constructed almost like the office and so what happens is is you get the point that it's it's like a reality show and you're watching him and it's very like candid camera sort of thing but every now and then they cut to like the improv actors and they're playing their characters in this mockumentary in a way but i think they're doing that just to sort of like clue the viewer into who their type of character is and what their motivations are. But all of the sort of candid stuff is great. So all the weird little character bits takes you out of this whole, like, here's a big prank that's going on. But eventually I just forgot all of that and really just got into the shenanigans of it. It's really fun. It's adorable. So it's on freebie, but you can see ad, see it with ads. It just landed on Amazon prime ad-free all eight episodes so um but it was a hoot not to give away again what i do for a living but i am i'm in the legal field and people watching this will probably be like none of that would ever happen people would never say these things i'm here to tell you some of this does happen it's extreme but if you knew about the stories that that I have told about my job, um, you would not be surprised by any of the stuff that you see on the show. But it's 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 great. Check it out, y'all. All right. I do have one question. Yeah. About that. Uh, does Paulie Shore make a cameo at all? He does. Ever? He does not. But, uh, missed opportunity. But what I think is so fascinating in that last episode is that what you come to realize is that there were some bits that were actually cut from the script because they were like, well, I don't, I don't think we can do it. I don't think we can direct the person like that. 
And this Mr. Gladden, Ronald, was just feeding into their stuff. So he actually mentions something, and you see the behind-the-scenes people flip out because they're like, oh, shit, we can put in that bit that we cut. We can put it right back in. And then they also had to have a mad scramble to keep up with where his mind was going because they were like, okay, we got to get rid of this script now. He mentioned this. Now we got to do this. We got to address this. And they were sneaking the cast out of the the hotel room, and they were doing these like last minute rehearsals. I mean, it the level with which they pulled this off is actually pretty fascinating. I'd watch an entire show just of the full behind the scenes, but I don't know if they could ever do it again. But it's great, and the guy got a hundred thousand dollars out of it, which is wow, pretty damn cool. But he had to keep he signed a non disclosure and literally had to keep it from everybody for about a year. Um, and so if you if you go on to his like Instagram uh, and then you see some of the things when he gives interviews, um, you know, for him, it was hard keeping that whole secret for like a full year until they premiered it. But yeah. All right. So that brings us to our movie proper, which is Spider-Man Across the Spideyverse. I'll start a little bit with uh, Below the Line, although it is an animated film. So this is probably going to go really quick. Uh First of all, let's talk about the creative driving force behind this movie and the first movie, and that is Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Obviously, everybody knows them from the Lego movies, and we're talking about the Lego movie part one, part two, the Batman Lego movie, uh, Lego Ninja Go-Go, which I think was a series. Ninjago. Ninjago, sorry. Sorry. My nephews would also get upset at you. I took them to Uh, see it, so that's why I know. It was cute. Got it. I, I prefer Ninja Gogo, but whatever. Um, I, mean, I do too, but that's me. I don't like that ninja form. I mean, Lego form. Crap. That's yes. the joke. <laughs> they have. They are also behind Twenty One Jump Street, Twenty Two Jump Street, and then a film we reviewed: the Elizabeth Banks directed horror comedy Cocaine Bear. So, if you want to know more about their background, you can certainly check that out. Um, Interestingly enough, Chris Miller is a a 97 graduate of Dartmouth College. There is another Dartmouth grad named Chris Miller who also writes comedic material for Hollywood. So just be wary of that kind of strange. Our other writer is David Callum. He is a Chinese-American writer. He's previously collaborated with Lord and Miller on America the Movie. Uh, That's a Netflix animated series with Channing Tatum and Olivia Munn, which Mr. Callum wrote. Callum also created the series Jean-Claude Van Johnson. We talked about that on our last episode, The Machine, because The Machine's director, Peter Atencio, also directed all six or six episodes, yes, of the Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And Callum also EP'd and wrote the 2009 mystery Tell Tale, which is inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. I've never seen this movie. The logline is essentially sexy Josh Lucas. That's not written in the IMDb logline, by the way. Um, but it sexy, will be. The sexy Josh Lucas gets a heart transplant and then later decides to solve the mystery of his donor's murder. I'm not making that up. Anyway, I do want to see it. It sounds great. But Callum has written other things. His humble beginning was co-writing Doom with noted screenwriter Wesley Strick, also one of my favorite screenwriters. He is also the credited writer for The Expendables, which if you dive a little deep, there was a WGA fight and a lawsuit from the studio that 
produced The Expendables, essentially it came out that Stallone had read Callum's script called Barrow and then based The Expendables off of it. There was a lawsuit. Callum eventually got the WGA credit and was paid over $100,000 in remuneration. And Stallone even signed an affidavit saying he based his story on Callum's script. So there you go. Callum has also credited with the story for Gareth Evans' Gojira. That's Godzilla to you domestic people. And then he has two sequ- he has two sequels on his resume, Zombieland, Double Tap, and Wonder Woman 1984, but we will not hold either of those films against Mr. Callum. And he also wrote Shang-Chi. Oh, hold on a second. You like Wonder Woman 1984 like I do. I do, but both of those films were resoundingly hated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, (laughs) I'll hold maybe zombie double double tap against him, even though it was just Anne, but I kind of liked Wonder Woman 84. I did too. I did too. Um, And he also wrote uh, the screenplay and the screen story for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, We have three directors, believe it or not, for this. The first is Joaquim Dos Santos, who worked his way up basically in the art department and animation department, starting in character design, but then moving on to storyboards. He is a producer of shows like the, um, I'm sorry, the, the short DC showcase animated features for Jonah Hex, The Spectre, and Green Arrow. Um, But he also helped produce Superman, Shazam, The Return of Black Adam. That was a 2010 animated show. And he's a co-EP for Legend of Korra, all 52 episodes, as well as Voltron Legendary Defender. He has directed animated features um, like uh, four... I'm sorry, he's been a director for Justice League Unlimited, Avatar The Last Bender, both animated and very well-regarded animated shows, The Legend of Korra, and of course, Voltron Legendary Defender. Our second director is Kemp Powers, who, interestingly enough, has written episodes for Star Trek Discovery, as well as writing the stage play and the screenplay for One Night in Miami, which has an all-black cast and was directed by Regina King, very much regarded as an Amazon original movie. If you haven't seen it, it is fantastic. Uh, Please check that out. He also wrote Soul, the Pixar movie. So he was a co-director on Soul and is a co-director on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Our third director is Justin K. Thompson. He actually started as a production designer on Lord & Miller films like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, as well as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He has been a production designer on video games like Sackboy, A Big Adventure, Little Big Planet 1, 2, and 3. And he worked his way up through the animation department as well. This is his first big directing gig. One other shout out that I want to give is Daniel Pemberton. He is the composer of this amazing score for this film, in addition to some of the uh, rap songs and various artist songs that are on the soundtrack. But Pemberton's score is amazing for this film. 137 composer credits. He's probably most known for his scores for Cuban Fury, The Man from Uncle adaptation, Guy Rich's misguided, yes, I'm saying that, misguided King of Arthur, uh, King Arthur, uh, King of Swords <laughs> or Legend of Swords or whatever it's called, Birds of Prey and the Emancipation Harlot Quinn, all that, and Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, <laughs> the Netflix Enola Holmes movies, and Lord and Miller's recent produced and written 
Apple Plus series, The After Party. And Red, there is a huge cast here, so it's on to you. I whittled it down, though, because there is a okay. huge cast, but I one, there's certain characters I wasn't sure what was spoilers and what wasn't, because uh, some of it surprised me. So I just tried to keep it to the core characters that are throughout the movie. Yes. And that would be... I'm, I'm getting spiny it, singles from... I'm getting spidey singles or signals from Masaki. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> your spidey sense is tickling is what mm. I think you're trying to say. That's Shamik it, Moore it. returns as Miles Morales. Uh, he was actually on our show before. He was in the Amazon Prime exclusive Samaritan with Sylvester Stallone. Uh, he was also in Dope and Joyful Noise. And then for series work, he was in Wu-Tang and American Saga, The Get Down, and Incredible Crew. Returning as Gwen Stacy, a.k.a. Spider-Gwen, is Haley Steinfeld. Uh, she rose to fame and the True Grit remake, uh, Pitch Perfect 2 and 3, was in Bumblebee, the wonderful Edge of 17, Ender's Game, Begin Again, and for television work, Hawkeye, the Disney Plus series based on the Marvel character, and Dickinson recently. Voicing Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. the Spider-Man 2099, is Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac. Uh, I did not know that, by the way. I was like, who is that? Is that Jake Johnson? I don't know. It took me a bit to realize who it was. I'm trying to think of what point in the movie. There was a spot. I was like, I think that's Oscar Isaac. And then uh, afterwards, was it was him. Uh, Rose to fame, Ex Machina, Inside Lewin Davis, A Most Violent Year, the 2010 Robin Hood, Body of Lies, Triple Frontier, Dune, uh, the most recent adaptation, The Card Counter, and has major tentpole experience in the recent Star Wars trilogy, as well as comic book cred and X-Men Apocalypse, and Landon and most definitely Troy's favorite television series, the Disney Plus limited series, Moon Knight. Mine, not Troy's. Troy, you suck. You're Let's also not forget that they are in probably one of Troy's favorite films, Sarcasm, Sucker Punch, in which Oscar oh, Isaac yes. actually sings and dances. So please check it out because the man can groove, I will say. Voicing Jessica Drew, which is one of many spider women, is Issa Rae. She has been in films such as The Hate You Give, The Lovebirds, Little, The Photograph, Vengeance, uh, as well as series such as Insecure and The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. Voicing Hobie, a.k.a. Spider-Punk, is Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, He was most notable in Jordan Peele films such as Get Out and Nope. Uh, Oscar-nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah, was in the first Black Panther film, so having uh, Marvel cred there. Uh, Was also in Kick-Ass 2, Queen and Slim, Widows, Sicario, and Johnny English Reborn. So he's come quite a ways. Yeah, I've never (laughs) seen the Johnny English film, so I was blown away when I saw that on his Jillian Anderson was in that, too. Scully. That's, that's actually not too surprising. That was like a spy <laughs> parody. Yes. Uh, do you want to do our voice? Anyway. Voicing the spot, who is kind of the villain in this movie, is very integral, is Jason Schwartzman. It took me a long time. I was like, who is voicing him? And once I saw his name in the credits, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Uh, to save time, he was in all the Wes Anderson films, or practically all of them. That's where yeah. you know him from. But he was also in I Heart Huckabees, Marie Antoinette, Funny People, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Saving Mr. Banks, Big Eyes, and Slackers. Voicing Spider-Man India is Karen Sony. Hopefully I, or Karan Sony, I don't know if I missed Karan Sony, yeah. Karan you got Sony, it. I thought of that after the fact. Uh, he was still pinned during the two Deadpool films. He's also popped up in Office Christmas Party, Safety Not Guaranteed, Not Okay, Strange World, 
the Trolls movies, so he has his animated work in that in Strange World, Detective Pikachu, Rough Night, the 2016 version of Ghostbusters, Goosebumps, and the series Miracle Workers. Voicing Miles Morales' father, uh, Jefferson Davis, is Brian Tyree Henry, who was in our very first episode, Being Bullet Train. He was also in our beloved Child's Play remake, Godzilla vs. Kong, which we also love. He was Oscar-nominated for Causeway, Widows, If Bilk Street Could Talk, Hotel Artemis, forgot he was in that, Joker, and he also has his MCU cred with Eternals, and he is on the hit series Atlanta. Playing the mother, Rayo Morales, is Luna Lauren Velez. Uh, she, When I say she popped up in the first Purge, I mean the prequel that was called the first Purge, not the actual first Purge movie. I hate the name of that movie so much because it is very confusing to talk about the series now. Excellent, excellent. I love that breakdown. <laughs> She was also an officer down, and, but is more noted for her series work, such as the Baltimore set Oz, Dexter, mm-hmm. and New York Undercover. And then one more shout out. Well, I guess two. I'll give it to Shea Wiggum as George Stacy. Uh, he is the father of Gwen Stacy. Uh, even though it's a small role here, it is very pivotal, and he is a very noted character actor, appearing in films such as Splinter, Take Shelter, American Hustle, Nonstop, Netflix's The Gray Man, Small Engine Repair, which I've heard wonderful things about, Story uh, to See. You must uh, see that. To tie in, because everyone seems to be in those Fast and Furious movies, he was in the fourth one, and I believe a couple of the other sequels, but notably in Fast and Furious, Vampires versus the Bronx, which was fun, also in Joker, Vice, First Man, Kong Skull Island and Machete. And just because you kind of named his name and I think maybe it was announced he was coming back and I don't know. I'm going to, no, no, I'm going to save it. I don't know if a do certain it. person, screw it, screw it. I'll do it. Returning as Peter B. Parker from the first into the Spider-Verse is Jake Johnson. Yeah. Also, I did kind of make fun of him. I think when Renfield, I do actually like him as this version of Spider-Man. He's also popped up in films such as Jurassic World, The Mummy. That was the one with Tom Cruise. Safety Not Guaranteed, which is good. Tag Twenty One Jump Street, a very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. No strings attached. Get him to the Greek. Paper Heart, Red Belt, and the two series that he's most well known for: are New Girl and Stumptown. I actually don't have anything against him. I think he's fine. He's just somebody that if you don't see his actual talents being used, such as in The Mummy, you don't really know why he he just seemed generic. But he's not generic in this film. To I was surprised as heck when he showed up in that Jurassic Park movie. I was like, "What? We're casting Jake Johnson in these in yeah. freaking Jurassic Park now." Um, That's new girl was a success. It was. And I actually love Jake Johnson. And by the way, um, I, I'm not the only one who agrees with this, but uh, Peter B. Parker looks a lot like Brad from Not a Bomb. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. That's not a bad thing, Brad. You no, know, it's yes, not. I was like, oh, Brad, shit, are you taking like your Brad. children out? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> he did take um, Max to see this. Oh, that's yeah. cute. So, uh, well, thank you. For that, that was amazing. Uh, and here we go. Everybody ready? Here we go. Spoiler-free thoughts on... Which may be short. <laughs> Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So, Misaki, what are your spider... Spider-free? Shoot. Spoiler- uh, I, I like to be spider-free. I like Spider-Man, <laughs> but spiders can remain free from me. Please. Yeah. What are your spoiler-free thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Across the Spider-Verse. Across. Sorry. <laughs> Across. So... I feel like um, this is one of the best Marvel movies. Okay, I hear you. I know, because Into the Spider-Verse is probably uh, Thor Ragnarok or Into the Spider-Verse. Ooh. 
It's a really hard one for me. I th- I, for the, between those, I would go with Into the Spider-Verse. Okay. Well, we're yeah. going to say that's the best Marvel movie. But I'd say um, that this movie is a top five Marvel-wise. Wow. Um, wow. Bold statements. I, I am curious, though. Uh, did you see this with your father or with friends? Or I, guess I saw both. this with my father. Ooh, oh. Just so the listeners know, uh, Samurai was not he didn't a like fan it. of this. He didn't like it. No, he didn't like it. And then I yelled at him for it. I said that he has no taste and that I should take <laughs> over his podcast. And- <laughs> wow. Yes. Revolt. And for once, you and Troy came to an agreement on something, probably, because <laughs> Troy also... To spoil his thoughts, loved this film, so he's it's in amazing. Uh, I think the only thing he liked about it. Oh wait, how your many dad characters? or Troy? How many characters? Wait, his dad, I would assume. Yeah. Okay, so if a character was already revealed before the movie, can I say it? Or uh, as in, like in the promotions and that? Yes, I'm fine with you doing yeah, that. I think I you're just, cool. You're I'm cool. Just, I just I'm can't remember who was and wasn't okay. at this point. So I think my dad, my dad, and I both agreed that uh, Spider Punk was probably the best part. I like the best character-wise. Got it. I, I like Spider-Punk. Yeah. So what did you think about this running time and just... The, the, there's a lot going on in this. How did you feel about... Not only just story-wise, but visually? How did how did you feel about those things? It had a lot of animation. Like, a lot. I mean, it is a two-hour something animated movie, so obviously it's going to have animation. But... um. There was yeah. like a lot of different sty- mm-hmm. styles in the film. Like the, the that mm, I hate spoiler-free sections sometimes. <laughs> I was but, about to just say everything. Well, try to, to try point, to though, say it generically. How about that? Yeah. yeah. Like, why uh, did you think there, that they used the different styles well, or did it feel gimmicky? I some of them were well, and then some I just I don't understand why you used it. Let's just say the first. 20 minutes of the film style I didn't really say I could oh well I I think we can without saying the first 20 minutes and we'll leave you're talking about Gwen Stacy's universe that I don't think is much of a spoiler Um, I didn't like it I don't like I will say I loved it and the reason I loved that and I think it's a shining example of how they used art in this film without going into spoilers is that they didn't just use it as a gimmick or to say, hey, this is the different universe. It has to look like this. It represented the main person's focus, their emotions. So Gwen Stacy's is like a watercolor. Um, You mentioned Miyazaki, uh, Jose. It did, even though I got grief for not quite liking the film, it reminded me of the animation style to my neighbor, the Yamadas, which was a Studio Ghibli film. And that that was used not just as a cute gimmick, but it was meant to convey, in that film's case, simplicity. In this film's case, it's basically like a mood ring to show off her, just her range of emotions as a teenager and trying to be Spider-Gwen. And there's spots where, I'm not going to get into the spoilers now, but they are used so well. And I think that's why the film as a whole works for me, because even though it's it's insult in the senses, you have this well-intentioned and well-thought-out animation styles for each so it's yeah. interesting that you didn't like that one and did you just think that was gimmicky or did you just maybe not like the look because i can understand i, I didn't not really liking like the look, the look. Yeah, i, I, I like that. i like all the animation different styles the my my dad didn't he said it was too like i don't know what is word he used two on the nose no i think it was more like uh, it was just overloaded there's just too there's too much going on too, too much style he said yeah 
And, and I, I know where he's coming from, but I think the reason it didn't feel that way for me was because I do think style was the substance. And since this is a story ultimately about fate and identity and it's a coming of age story, like all Spider-Man films are being so overloaded was basically what it's like being a teenager going through puberty of you have all of these different things, especially once you get to like high school or you have so many different lifestyles and everything and expectation coming at you that I actually felt like it worked well on me as opposed to tuckering me out because I felt like it had a point outside of just being, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had all this stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there, <laughs> I just dropped my phone was there yes. So was there, <laughs> Was there... I was gonna yell, but I can't say certain words, guys. I am on a so, Yes. So was there? Uh, so with everything happening in the movie, because l- let's just say it goes, it goes across the Spider Verse. I'm okay? But oh um, was there? Was there a particular one? Was there a particular section you enjoyed the most out of all of it? And then two, did there ever come a time? And at what point did you feel any kind of fatigue over the two and a half hour time limit? I don't think or- I felt any fatigue over it just because I'm way more used to the longer movies now. Like, yeah. I'm very used to it. I'm, I felt like two hours and 16 at this point with how long some movies can be is kind of short. I mean, that new Little Mermaid thing is like two hours, 35 minutes. So. It- I thought it was only like... I thought it was only like two twelve. I thought it was yeah, only just about two. I think it was two thirty. I just threw my phone, so I can't check. I, uh, let me check quick. I'll I'll do it. Um, but then, what was your what was your favorite uh, part? Two fifteen. He wasn't far off. Wow, yeah, it was two fifteen. Anyways, my but favorite, what was your favorite uh, part? Yeah, without any spoilers, the yeah. last thirty minutes. Okay, I got it. It just like it was very confusing. Hmm. But I understood as soon as <laughs> a certain line hit. Gotcha. Yeah. I won't say that. Uh, best part of the movie is the soundtrack that Metro Boomin made. I don't care what any of you say. I love Metro Boomin. So I was waiting for that. Cause it's, and he was in the movie, actually. I don't know if you knew No, that. I didn't know that. He was mm-hmm. the one that said... Um, is it a spoiler if you say it? No, not really, because it was in the trailer. Oh, well, then go ahead and say it. He was the one that said, well, sorry, everybody. I guess there was somewhere to run. Oh, Oh, yes. Yeah. That was that that whole character for him. His name is Metro Spider. That's awesome. That was a very funny moment. So did you like the way that the action was done? Especially, let's go to this. Spider-Gwen has her own action sequence early in the film in her world, her Earth. Did you feel like the watercolor worked there? Did, was that a detriment to her action sequence? Yeah, I think it worked just there. But like when it's just in like the room, it's kind of like trippy. Because, yeah, I mean, it's definitely dad, a little trippy. The dad, the dad is changing from white to blue. Like he's just going to become the American flag in that room. <laughs> like he will be the American flag. Well, I think like Justin said, it's to it's to amplify like their emotion and what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I did I did enjoy that kind of aspect of it. Yeah. Um <clears throat> it's it's more pronounced in her world and like Miles as opposed to oh Spider-Man India's world is very pronounced, but I think those two are the ones that have the most focus as characters. So I, yeah. I think at least on this first viewing, because one thing I've always liked, and I think it's more 
more noticeable here uh, in, in, than in Into the Spider-Verse because of so many other worlds is that I really took to notice that while his world is very 3D and very open world when he is selling as being Spider-Man, it almost feels flat, and I mean this in a positive way, when he's just trying to do his normal day-to-day or interact with his parents. And again, I think that's meant to reflect Miles' worldview when he's just himself, almost feels restricted. And, but then when he puts on the mask, it becomes almost this 3D landscape. And I kind of liked how using force perspective via animation and his did that. Excellent. Yeah. Anything you didn't like, Misaki? Without spoilers, anyway. It's that uh, <laughs> Gwen. Oh, you didn't really? I, I, I found her annoying. Wow. Really? I found her annoying. This whole... I need to go back. I need to do this. You're not good enough. Like, she got annoying. <laughs> well, I'm going to say she was my favorite part of the film. So you and I are. Hey, you go talk to my sister. Get her on there. I bet she'll. <laughs> good. Get her on it. I thought I'd like. I, thought, I don't know uh, where she is. I thought <laughs> I thought Gwen's whole arc was uh, incredibly involving. Uh, again, it's taking the same template that we've seen with all the Spider-Men. And there's. A reason for that, I mean, the whole point of the character and reason Stanley made Peter Parker originally as a high schooler was it's supposed to be a metaphor on going through puberty and having to deal with this complete different identity. And I thought her struggles were very involving, and I felt that they brought every they worked as a good catalyst. It's a reason to drag uh, Miles Morales into this and all the other characters from across Spider-Verse. So I, I was very in touch with hers, and I kind of liked for a good while that this basically was a Spider-Gwen movie. Um, <laughs> as I get thumbs down, there was a um, thumbs down. So, so red, we've gotten a little bit of your um, mm-hmm. spider, fr- uh, spider freak. Damn, I keep saying, I trust it. me, my spider life, freak. I try to make um, <clears throat> spider free as possible. Yes, so we've gotten a little bit about your, your spoiler free thoughts, but but yeah, so keep going. what did you think of this? Uh, it's hard because the one thing I didn't like about this. All I can say about it is I'm, I'm still conflicted on the ending, and that's all I'm going to say. That's all I said on Capsule Reviews, because you can't talk about that without going into spoilers. But I did love this. Um, I think both as taking the template that we have seen in various Spider-Man stories, but doing it through this very vivid and lush uh, animation style that somehow aped the first one, which, I mean, I was afraid, how can you, you know, without this feeling too gimmicky, I think it is overloaded, but again, I think they make it work, and even when it you kind of get exhausted. And that is the one other gripe. For the most part, I didn't feel the length, but I think around the two-hour mark, I slowly started to. And again, I'll also explain why once we get to the, the spoiler section. Um, but there's just so much going on that I think it makes it move so quickly. And I, I loved both Gwen's struggles, but also Miles' struggles with having to, you know, not just be Spider-Man. And there's something that has never really been, or at least I don't recall seeing as heavily in the comics or especially the films. And that's early on when he's having these, like the fantasies is all Spider-Men and Spider-Women have had of, and all superheroes. What if I revealed myself to my loved ones and his fantasy of him telling his parents is basically like a child coming out of the closet. And I don't know why. I mean, I know why it hit me, but I was like, why hasn't that really been, showcase before that it can still be that kind of a revelation so his whole arc and Gwen's arcs with having to deal with this hidden identity yes we've seen it done before but I think utilizing those animation styles and just little tweaks were were very involving Um, I love the music in this uh, both I I forget what was the name of the artist that you love Masaki 
Boom 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 Town. Metro Boomin. Metro Boom Boom. Let's go Boom Boom Town. Boom Boom Boom. Let's go back to my room. Oh god. Boombastic, Mister Fantastic. Wow. My age there. It's all becoming another show. I loved his implementation of that music. It didn't, and I did like the implementation of the music for the most part in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. But I saw where Jose was coming from. That sometimes when you use either music created by artists, maybe that's why this worked here is I felt a lot of the music was created for the movie as opposed to just taking music already established and licensed and just putting it in there because then do you like the music because you like the artist or do you like the way it's used here? Here, I thought he used it and they used it brilliantly, but the actual score itself was wonderful and mm. conveyed those emotions. So as a Spider-Man film, because... That's the other thing. This is one giant love letter to this whole entire Spider-Man franchise. The movies, the video games, the comics, everything. Uh, and th this is a living, breathing motion comic. I know when Watchmen came out on Blu-ray, they did the made-for-DVD uh, animated movie called Tales from the Black Freighter, and they called it a motion comic because it was yeah. like reading a comic emotion. This is taking that to the next level. You've got the little uh, bars at the bottom. I always had the editor's notes that pops up every now and then in the movie as, uh, for very clever usage, both as jokes and also to clue you in on certain characters. The various art styles is also just a love letter to all the different art styles that have come and gone uh, for the series. So just as a fan of Spider-Man, it's, it's fan service. Sure. But I fell for it, but I, I think what makes this work and I still think made, <laughs> No way homework, though. I do see where you and others are coming from when revisits Masaki in that this one, it's like, yes, they knew they had this gimmick and we're going to show you all these Spider-Man. That's why you're coming. But No Way Home still brought it together because especially with Andrew Garfield's version, the amazing, it was tying up loose ends that they had and calling back here. This, it works even more, much better because they all have their purpose. Obviously, they're going into the Spider-Verse, but they all even when it comes down to the occasional time and I'll get to it in spoilers where it felt like, okay, that's just there to make wink, wink, nudge, nudge, make the fans happy. It doesn't distract too much because it's still driving miles and Gwen's arcs along and the plot along. And, and I was, I was here for all that. I liked, I even liked how they used the spot because when you first see him, he almost feels like the, what you would get in some of the Spider-Man comics where he basically is just this, run-of-the-mill weird villain that Spider-Man's going to dispose of in the first few uh, pages before the real villain comes in. And they make you think that's what the case is, and he kind of is, but he ends up being the catalyst for why they need to go across the Spider-Verse, why uh, there's glitches in the Matrix, uh, pardon <coughs> the pun there, um, and, you know, why Miles sometimes needs to grow up and still take certain things seriously, because here he's underestimating somebody that everyone's underestimating and maybe you shouldn't be underestimating. I love that too. I thought that was very clever. Even when it felt like the spot was getting lost in the shuffle, that was the point. I actually liked how they made that work. It's really hard to discuss this movie without going into spoilers. <laughs> uh, I can tell. Um, all right. So uh, here's the thing. Uh, it is definitely a watch. I think there is an artistry. There is a beauty that is put into a lot of this the different styles just to convey not only emotions, but the different universes and just the way that they put everything to together is uh, the three writers. Fantastic job. Fantastic job. If I have a criticism about this, it's that 
I mean, within the first 10 minutes, my eyes had already like crossed and then like <laughs> flipped around in my head 20 times. I Well, that's probably because you went and saw this in 3D. I'm kidding. <laughs> did you? No, I did not. Oh. It's, it, I don't I think they... Like this- I don't, I don't think they released it, it in 3D, but I'll Which tell you what. It's kind of sad because this seems like it would work in that. Maybe I'll tell you what. Honestly, if I saw it in 3D, I think I would die. I think my head would explode. And that's probably why they didn't because there's such different art styles. And I think about it that it would probably be hard to make that work without straining people. So here's here's what I texted a bunch of people. I said, I said this reminded me all the shifting styles and even just like the credits and everything blinking and flashing and doing this weird. First of all, I thought there should be a warning about like epilepsy. Okay, I'm that's how it wasn't. that's how insane the first ten minutes were. Like seriously, it fried my brain, and I I was like, God, I have two hours and a half of this. Um, uh, Masaki did say there was a warning. Was yeah, it? there was. There's um at our theater. Oh my god. Uh, on the like. You, you know, know you're not supposed to touch that, right? <laughs> I'm not touching it. I'm trying to fix it, and it just hit my face. It, I'm gonna fight it, bro. Two round knockout. Uh, but anyways, Sammy's mic set up. Masaki wants to, yeah. as a musician, wants to grab the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very used to that. But you can't do that. Anyway, so go ahead. Uh, there, there was a warning. So, in our theater, above, like, whatever it is, before you walk in the room, like, the box mm-hmm. that shows what movie, there's always going to be, there's always a caution sign. Yeah. Which lets you know that uh, it will trigger epilepsy and stuff. I, I will yeah. say this. My theater typically does that. They actually didn't do it for this one. Maybe I just missed the one auditorium I was in and didn't catch all of them. But it is interesting because it was plastered for even Halloween ends, but not for this. Well, they need to because as I texted some some friends, it reminded me of when I went to go see Natural Born Killers, which also uses a lot of different stocks and a lot, a lot of different changing of, of visions uh, of the way that they've shot stuff. And that movie gave gave me a ginormous headache, right? Because it had a ton of quick cuts. It had all these different formats or whatever. I felt the same way. My text was, I feel like my eyeballs have been sucked on by a lamprey eel for two and a half hours. Like, <laughs> what? Yes. Oh, that was amazing. Yes. Uh, because, like I said, I just was like, what? It, it literally became the physical embodiment of ADHD. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine this, the effect of this on kids under, like, 10 seeing this. I, I mean, please don't feed your kids sugar before you come to this because they will go crazy. They'll be climbing up on the whatever. Anyway, so some, some of the animation style did get to me. And my biggest criticism of the film is that it's just so overloaded with... Mm-hmm everything what so in in a way the cleverness of the way that they've packaged this entire story it's their curse it's both their blessing and it's their curse because they not only have they given us a really really great sequel they've expanded the universe <laughs> the spideyverse uh we get more gwen time we get more miles time we see two different villains we see um all the spider-man i mean it again it, it works on so many different levels that somebody like me who doesn't know the comics doesn't know all these different spider-man iterations but can still get a kick when they go flying across the screen or they have a line or something like that's that's great that's still fun but 
it's just it's it's a sense it's sensory overload and as somebody who loves sensory overload it's my thing this was a lot even for me like like as an adult wanting to get into this film and again it, it's a it's a minor criticism but all the stuff that's squeezed into this film you probably could have splintered into a separate movie or at least cut down on some of the uh, cause there's, there's just a lot going on. So I wanted to ask you about that. Well, one, you answered one of my questions. How did this work for somebody who doesn't really know about the characters? And I'm glad to hear that. But two, now I'm obviously glad that this isn't a series because we get to see this in a theater, Troy, we're not saying judge because I know we got on us for, for Dungeons and Dragons, but did you get the feeling that this almost felt like it would have been better served as a series on like Disney plus or something, just because then they could have, like you said, splintered off and instead of having to cram everything together, could have breathed a little bit more and then all came together and went up. Cause it's, it's a very, it's different to have a two and a half hour movie to let's say a six to eight hour show, because even if you binge it, it's formatted differently. So it doesn't feel like one long sprint. You feel like you can so, take breaks if you wanted to. Yeah. So the answer is yes. Yes. To all okay. of that. Um, and the other thing too, was that, um, again, I I try not to do trailers. I try not to read articles beforehand about what's happening, or even I didn't know that there was a third one coming out. Sorry, um, but um, I, I did and completely forgot. So I was actually in the same camp as you. I mean, not even just not even just looking at posters. I was expecting Miles Morales, and when there's a narrative shift, this is Gwen's movie. I think you are correct. Everything everything of. Uh, Everything a director and a writer wants to show you happens in the beginning. It starts with Gwen. This is her movie. This is their Empire Strikes Back. Um, but by pulling that narrative, because I was expecting more Miles, I, I guess as much as I loved Gwen and her coming out, um, you know, and her issues, things happening in her watercolor universe, I was kind of like, where's Miles? Where That's what I wanted to see. And then unfortunately, there is some... There is a lot of repetition in the script, and that is what started to get me kind of like, oh boy, do I have another 40 minutes of this? What's going to happen? I even leaned over to Randy, and I was like, how are they going to tie this up? I feel like there's another 50 minutes, the same way I felt with Shazam, Fury of the Gods, when when the thing gets unleashed in the city, I'm like, oh my god, we're going to be here for another 50 minutes. Like, they can't just resolve this in 20, right? And so I, I had a little bit of that fatigue. And I know it sounds like I'm whining, but, no, but quite honestly... it's a justifiable response. Yeah, but quite honestly, it's, it's, it is a great movie. And what I also loved, we'll get into, this, into the spoiler section, it actually has a dig on fanboys. And I, <laughs> abs- and I love how they work that into the story. It is... It is my favorite. I, I absolutely love how they worked at it worked that in. So unfortunately, like I said, I just found everything really, really overwhelming. Um, but just uh, again, we'll get more into it in the spoilers. I, I think that they really wrapped everything together really beautifully. It's a great I think it's a, a great movie despite my hesitations about it. Um, so it's definitely a watch for me. Misaki, your verdict before we go into spoiler free. It is a watch. Absolutely. Definitely a a big watch for me. Okay. 
So we're going to head into spoiler-free uh, spoiler free territory. So if you have not spoiler seen... Spoiler section. Spoiler section. We're getting out of spoiler free. Oh, my God. What is wrong with me? Hello. The movie overloaded you. That's why. Yeah, that's right. Sensory overload, folks. Uh, we are going into spoiler territory. So if you have not seen Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, please turn us off because we're going to spoil the Spidey Shaz out of it, if that's even nice. a word, in three, two, one. So... Uh, all those Spider-Man, Spider-Men, it was kind of crazy. Uh, how did you guys feel about an entire society? And now I know there's a basis of this in the, in, in the comic books. And in fact, if anybody's interested, Hollywood Reporter put together this amazing article about, uh, all the Easter eggs in, in this movie, there are 117 items Mm -hmm. that this, this article listed, but, um, I had not known that there was this like society of spider men and that they were essentially like the Loki television show. So in the Loki television show, there's sort of like this department that polices the timelines. And so this Spider-Man society is sort of the same way. They make sure that the timelines are correct and that things don't happen with these quote unquote canon events, which we'll get to before, get to later. Um, but how did you guys feel about all those different Spider-Men? That was trippy. As if like all the other weird colors weren't seeing all those Spider-Men, and especially when they did the meme thing, that was funny. But how did you yeah. feel about that? Uh, I loved it, and I think that was the way to go. If you're going to throw this many Spider-Men and Spider-Women, Spider-Characters into the movie, it's just it's the most logical way of doing it, because then you can have those Easter eggs for the fans. But... Whether you're a fan or not, it doesn't disrupt the flow of the story too much because most of that's kept to background or they just get to have a line and then kind of, you know, head head out. It also was a great emotional center when you have all of them coming in and seeing how they're almost under this tyrannical rule of Spider-Man 2099. Uh, And that's also where, like, they kind of use, like, I'm I'm assuming this is in 2099 then because it very much looks like the art style from that comic series, which was very futuristic, Philip K. Dick, Blade Runner style yeah. of what we, you know, all these sci-fi novels thought the future was going to look like and, and making a commentary almost on how it's as technologically great it is. It almost feels like it's sapping you of your humanity because he is a very terse character. And we learn because he finds out that in another canon universe, he tried to change the outcome of fate and he ended up disrupting and pretty much created this whole thing. So I, I thought that was really clever. And, You're yeah, talking about Oscar very, Isaac's character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man yeah, yeah. 2099. I thought that was Miguel. a very... Miguel. A very great way to have the center, but still to have your cake and eat it too, basically, if we want to use a cutesy saying. And I think that big moment where they're all chasing Miles Morales because he wants to disrupt what is his canon event, and that's his father dying. Uh, that's where we get that moment from the trailer. Oh, I guess there was a way out. Very funny. Um, and honestly, using that in a trailer is probably not even that bad because like so much goes on in that trailer in this movie, you wouldn't realize that's what it's from. You would have just thought they were chasing the spot or something. Uh, it, it holds a different weight when you see it implemented in the actual finished product, and that's Miles Morales outsmarting all of them and getting away. Um, the only issue I had with this, and this is a personal gripe, it's a minor thing. I don't know how, even though it makes sense, how I feel about including the live action stuff. Because we see not just clips from all the other Spider-Man movies and talking about their canon events, 
Uncle Ben dying, Gwen Stacy dying in Amazing Spider-Man's universe. But we also see Di- uh, Donald Glover's character from Homecoming and those Spider-Man movies in this, or his version of the character. And we even have that crossover with the Venom franchise. Yes, we don't see Venom or Tom Hardy. <laughs> the Asian lady. Yes. It's kind of funny, and it makes sense because, of course, it's another, you know, verse. But I don't know. That was the only time it felt a little bit too cute for me. And I'm like, I kind of wanted the these two animated to almost be separate from them. So it's a personal gripe, nothing against the movie. But that was the kind of time where I'm like, I don't know, that's a little weird for me. Well, I think uh, I think it just goes back to that whole overloaded thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's just there's so much going on here and it's it is it comes from a place of like reverence and fan service and material and source and expanding the universe, but they could have <laughs> please God, they could have dialed down on some of this because the the problem is is that you know, if you style every focus section on the characters, right? Gwen, uh, Miles, uh, Miguel, the Spider Society. If you, oh, and of course the Bombat, Bombatten, Mumbai, Mumbatten, I think it was. Bombatten? It was like Mumbai and Bombatten, yeah, Mumbatten or whatever. Or Spider Man India. Yeah, but the problem is, is you know, in each of those, they make each of those stories just as integral or important or seem to be making it as important. Um, so, for example, like with Gwen, you start to think, okay, well, she's behind everything. And then in the next story, you realize she's not. It's somebody else. And then when it gets to uh, Miguel, you realize, well, he started all this stuff. And it's just, it's like splitting the focus like that was was a little... It just was a little weird because I'm expecting Miles, I get Gwen, and then I get Miles, and then we get Miguel, and then are we supposed to care about Miguel? And then, I mean, because he seems mean and he seems scary, he's like a vampire. By the way, I love that line where he was like, oh, a good vampire, I'd love to see that. (laughs) Ha ha ha, Blade. Mahershala Ali is one of the voices in this as well. He's going to play Blade. Um, But yeah, it just... for me, it was it's just a little too much. But what I loved about this whole bringing up the canon events and saying that certain things have to happen in each universe as a canon event, I thought that that was an amazing commentary on not only just comic book continuity and um, and and when you like what like with DC the new Fifty Two and how they redid certain heroes' backstory, but they kept certain things. I thought that was really. A, very, very clever, and then B, I thought it was great because it's sort of hitting back at the fanboys who are like, oh, you know, Aunt May's really young now and she doesn't die. This is ridiculous. It's not like the comic book. And I just, I love that they were like, well, we're doing it all, kind of like they did with uh, Abrams' Star Trek and how there was a different time continuum so you could have both of these storylines existing. <laughs> so I enjoyed, that, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah, the cleverness of that. It makes that fanboy mentality almost the villain because that's the catalyst why Miles Morales is fighting against this because why should I let my father die? And when even Peter B. Parker comes in and tries to reason with him, it's like, would you just let so-and-so die? Knowing it, you don't know this. And and I also like, and I'm going to let you talk here, Misaki, but um, yes. I think I might have just been putting this in there because I like to read a lot about not just artists and comedians, but you always see because there are so many great tortured artists that sometimes when people are coming up and trying to be artistic, they almost seem like they're forcing trauma on themselves because you have to have that in order to do this. And I don't know if that was the point, but it almost felt like this canon event 
like when they talk about that is like our commentary on like well if you need to be great or something you have to go through grief and it's like you have to but if it's forced and you can't you know and you know about it is it a canon event anymore would it be a canon event now that miles morales knows that his dad's gonna die and obviously that's why 2099 didn't want him to to join the spider crew uh the spider society but i kind of liked playing on that a little bit i don't know if that was exactly their intent but i like sinking my teeth into that it's just a commentary on fate and one's identity i thought it was very emotional well, it's a very t- it's a very tantalizing proposition, right? Do you let fate carry itself out, but or do you stop a horrible act because you know you can, and that mm-hmm. there wouldn't be a reason to do yeah. it? And so, unfortunately, with everything else going on, it was just like one more thing to pile on. Maybe it didn't need to go there. You know what I mean? Like we practically. We practically I, I, almost got two coming out true, scenes, which was. But I feel like we did because everything we didn't know it, but everything was building up to that. Like yeah. that was because I, honestly, even though he's not a uh, out and out hit villain, and I think he'll be redeemed mostly in the next one. We think the spot is the villain, and yes, him realizing that with these weird spot powers that he gained because he was one of the scientists in the first movie, um, he can control the multiverse, and that's kind of what's making the hacking and the glitching. The real villain is Spider-Man 2099, Miguel, because he's almost totalitarian. Because yeah. he thinks because he saw, you know, one of his versions of himself wasn't supposed to die, but he, or he did die, but then he pretended he didn't because he impersonated him. He's thinking, oh, because I messed with this canon, everything went wrong, where it's like, yes, you made a decision and made it go wrong, but that doesn't mean Miles or somebody else changing something this butterfly effect might not happen the way you think it is. So he's almost a villain in his own right. He just doesn't know. It. And I actually like that. And that's why I'm glad that existed because yeah. it's all building towards that. This wouldn't, this whole story doesn't work without that. We just don't know because that reveal happens near the end of the movie. Well, does it though? Because I feel like that's just been the repeating theme. It's like, well, th- now there's this. And then like, well, wait a minute. So-and-so is behind. In other words, it's like, I feel like if we dig into it more, it's going to be like Inception. Are, there's all these different levels, and does mm-hmm. it really work, or does it collapse on each other? Where are they going? Possibly. I've only there's, got to see this once. I wasn't yeah, able to see it again, so it's possible. But I feel, and probably I'm giving them a lot of credit, because everything else about this film, like I said, with the art styles, it's very smart and intuitive towards the emotions and the stories that they're telling. I think it was purposeful. I think that the spot is meant, you're meant to think he's the villain, but really, it's 2099. Yeah. Masaki, we we've been rambling. We do that. I, uh, I. But how? What did you feel about the Spider Man and all the the Spider Man universe? Uh, did you think it was too much? Like, when did you? Well, I mean, some of them were too much. I mean, there's some people that they could leave out mm-hmm. of it, but at the same time, I mean, they're just kind of showing how many different universes there are in this multiverse you know actually i I saw something on tiktok of an easter egg in the film uh you know like that's the spider-man popsicle thing yeah Mm, yeah that in there as well (laughs) yeah chasing miles in one of the scenes yes and i loved peter parked car Peter Park, that was great. The humor in this pretty fantastic was was really great they they found a way to up everything but you did you think that showing most of that and having all those Easter eggs just in a society was the smart move? Yes, I think so. Uh, I do want to make a little uh, theory for the next one. This is all I'm going to say about it. Mm. Um, Tom, Toby, and Andrew will be in it. I, well, I think you're right. Maybe. maybe. It's, yeah. called, it's called Beyond the Spider-Verse. Well, not just that, but they... 
like I had mentioned, they're, they're including all of these uh, live action films as part of, which I guess it makes sense that it would be its own universe. And they've already had the live action implementation because we've seen some of the characters, such as Donald Glover, mm-hmm. encased, like trapped before he's sent back into his own universe. So I, I think you're right. I don't think that's basically what I want to see in it is um, they all go to like the live action part and then they actually show who's going to be a live action Miles because they confirm that is coming. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to see a live action uh, uh, sequence in the next film. Also, I would like a Lego sequence. Don't tease us with a Lego sequence and then not give us one. I was waiting for, for what, for an action sequence to be like in the Lego universe, but it didn't happen. But yeah, we just got the 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 jokey gimmick. Yeah, we just got the little jokey thing. But I think in the next film, I think I would love to see a live action. Miles and Tom Honlid fighting Tom Hardy as Venom. I think that would be great. Yeah. Now, um, since we keep talking about the next one and you saying being teased, do we feel like this felt like one big long trailer and tease for Beyond the Spider-Verse? Okay, so I will say, I um, while it wasn't as egregious as Fast X, okay, mm-hmm. they did not tie... Mm-hmm. everything up and and I did feel a little cheated and but then I thought to myself wait a minute maybe this is their Empire Strikes Back which I did not feel about Fast X Fast X I was just like yeah. okay I hate this entire franchise let it die here like, I wrong. felt like at least they resolved some things but yeah the, but the way that they ended it though was still very heavy for these characters and i was just like uh don't leave them and us hanging so that was that was a bit disappointing but what did you think masaki were you fine with this cliffhanger of an ending did you know there was going to be a part yeah, three I, I was i knew there okay. was going to be a part three and i knew that there was going to be a cliffhanger and i knew that there was going to be a to be continued because it was kind of obvious when they said part three is coming out next year, that's going to leave on a cliffhanger because what did Infinity War do? Snap. Yeah. What did uh, other movies? Empire that- Strikes Back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Whatever so- happened in that? I forgot. Well, speaking, speaking of, before you go, Red, so fatigue-wise, after after he chases away like the spiders or whatever, uh, all the spider people. And then he ends up in what he believes is his, his universe, but it's actually not, which I also thought was rather clever. But the reason why it becomes clever is because we're getting this coming out where he comes out to his mom, but it's the mom in the different universe, which, you know, once that happens, it's like, Whoa, but that, that was the point where I leaned over to Randy and I was like, there's going to be another 40 minutes. Like what the, what the hell? Right. That was, that was where I felt fatigued. And that's when it dawned on me. I'm like, wait a minute. Wasn't this originally called part one? And it hit me. I'm like, Oh, we're getting a cliffhanger ending. Cause there's no way because the, the, the revelation here is folks. Uh, so in the spider nation, I guess you could say they have what they basically, I mean, think they flat out just call it the go home machine because they joke that they can think of something clever <laughs> yes. where once they capture these villains who have been able to cross into a different spider verse, they put lock them up and then they eventually put them into this machine and will send them back to their, their earth, their universe. Yep. Well, once Spy- miles Morales does escape all the spider men and to go back to his universe, he forgets as we kind of all did that, uh, Miguel had it made the revelation 
you were the catalyst. This is why I said this is why they all knew it. He was a catalyst for everything going wrong, and he didn't try it because he accidentally went to a wrong universe. He was meant for one of these other Earths, but somehow oh, no. he went it he was, went to his. Well, wasn't it that the the spider that made him Spider-Man was, was it, from was another Spider-Man. dimension that went to his world, turned him into Spider-Man instead of Peter Parker, which caused the canon disruption, which then put all of this into motion? But like I said, the the... The screenplay tricks you into thinking, well, Gwen set this all into motion and then, you know, whatever. Anyway, I've said my piece but here's about the thing. that. But. But, but, but here's the thing. Once he gets bitten, he's not – now he's, his DNA thinks that he's supposed to be in that other universe. Exactly. And so that's from. where he goes. So when he yeah. goes, he thinks he's going back to his universe. And when he confesses to his mother, she kind of laughs it off, which is – she doesn't think it's being hurtful, but that's incredibly hurtful, just like if you were to come out. And right. that's when he realizes – his dad oh, is in dead. A different universe. His dad his is uncle. dead in this universe. His yeah. uncle's still alive. And then one more twist: his uncle is not the Prowler like he thought he was. It's him in this universe because instead of becoming Spider-Man in that universe, because the Spider went to the other one, he becomes evil in that one. And now Gwen has to go save him because he's not in the correct universe. That's all very clever. The downside to that is that's your cliffhanger. That's he's trapped with his evil self in the his his original the spider's original universe Gwen and everyone else went to the wrong one Gwen has assembled all the spider-men from the first end of the spider-verse that's team with her spider pig film noir spider-man noir they're gonna go save him that's how we end so it's not as abrupt or like you said as egregious as fast x because it doesn't just end in the middle of an actual scene but it does feel like it's kind of ending before the third act kicked in but see, Red, you were getting breathless just explaining all of that, mm-hmm. and that that yeah, is my biggest yeah, problem I, with this movie, I, is that just, it it almost begs a second viewing because there's so much going on. And know? I do agree, and I think that's a justifiable criticism. Um, I, again, I think it worked just because it, it complemented what the characters are going to be like. Also, because I am a Spider-Man fan, even though I'm not familiar with every single iteration of them. I could take to it as just this is like one giant love letter and like it, but it is a little bit too overloaded sometimes for its own good. And I did not like that ending when I saw it at first. Uh, Mm. I will keep it PG or I will, you know, but somebody in my crowd went, that's effing whack. And then he stormed down going, I have to basically just watch the trailer and I have to see another movie. I can see this becoming a downside because we're going to have this at least one more time that we know of this summer because Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is a part one. But at least it says part one. So I said I said I said that to Scooter. I was like, I was like, well, at at least Tom Cruise told us it's a part one. Yeah. But my problem with this, though, (laughs) is like you had said, Misaki, and we had brought up there's Empire Strikes Back and we're going to use Infinity War for two reasons. One, it makes more sense because Marvel is very closely related Two. I wasn't alive when Empire Strikes came out. Sorry, Jose and Troy and all of you old folks. So when I saw Empire Strikes Back and I was I'm like, oh, my God, like, you know, Darth is his father. Han Solo is frozen. I didn't have to wait. I, I literally just watched Return of the Jedi right after. Yeah, you just so popped I it into the VCR. It's hard for me to say, <laughs> even though I know why it still works as a cliffhanger, and I still think it's because the bad guys won, it's easier for me to use Infinity War as an example because I had to wait the year. I didn't feel ripped off or anything with Infinity War because, again, the arc was the bad guy won. Yeah. So it ends, it doesn't end at the third act, or as the third act begins, the third act ended. It's just the bad guy won the third act, and you're not going... How are they going to save like Miles as he's trapped in this area? You're just like, 
oh, well, they're screwed. Who knows where they go next? So I still felt like I was seeing something brand new. Here, my initial reaction was, you're not as bad as Fast X, but I still feel like you just ended somewhat abruptly as opposed to at least having somewhat of a suitable third act conclusion here where a bad guy wins because technically nobody wins or loses um however as i have ruminated on this a bit more i still have my reservations it still hurts a little bit i'm not used to this two-parter i know it's not new hunger games and harry potter did it they were again more honest with it and mission impossible will be but i you kept bringing up spider gwen her arc is actually completed in this movie it bookends with her it starts with her you know not you know, missing miles and not noticing her, her place in the world. She has the dad who is the chief of police. Uh, he doesn't like spider Gwen. How does she come out to him? Especially, you know, after he finds out it is her and he still wants to arrest her. She ends up, you know, because of them coming in to help fight uh, this, this Renaissance version of the vulture, which was voiced by, I think, Jorma Tacone, I believe it was, if not, him, yeah. it might've been Andy Hamburg. Um, I, I thought that Jorma. was very well done. Uh, and clever, so she joins Norma. with them. The whole middle act, her second act is how does she deal with, you know, having to shut Miles my, out because he's not ready for this and, you know, feeling guilt over that and then finding out, you know, all of this canon stuff that she wasn't privy to. And then her actual conclusion is coming out to her, you know, facing her father. And that's the be most beautiful scene. The watercolor, you were talking about the dad turning blue. Well, that's because he was feeling blue. Yeah, it's a little maybe on the nose, but I love that where it's the their contrast in her heart to heart with her dad when she comes back and him just being like, well, I quit the force because I can't wrestle with the fact that you're this villain, but I also can't arrest you. I can't deal with this, but they, they have what they needed to have was a talk. And then she realizes sometimes it's okay to go against fate. And then she comes to the realization of who she is. She's going to go save miles. So she actually has her arc. The problem is that's just one person. And it does. It's, yeah, I still struggle but, with it. But the thing is, is I don't even think they completed her arc because, in a way, yeah, she, she still starts needs to save miles. She starts. Yes, she starts the film being guilty about leaving Miles and not visiting him. Then she coaxes him away from his universe and creates all of this. And now she has to still save him again because she's still. So it's still. It's still kind of open ended. But true. But yeah. I, I think for me, my reasoning with it is her emotional arc was still good because now she is strong enough to save him. But again, the issue still comes with, she still has to save him though. So it's not, it's not like if, uh, if the spot would have, and I'm not trying to rewrite the movie. I'm just because the, the only two examples that I think worked were empire and infinity war, where it was flat out bad guys. One, I think I would have been more comfortable with that flat cliffhanger. If, like the spot or a more defined villain legitimately just won because then I feel like there was still a conclusion here. No villains won, you know, no. just, and the yeah, villain, I mean, listen, say, yeah, I would say don't get hung up on the semantics. I mean, it's just, there's but, but so I much think, going on in this, but I think that's the, the issue is, did I just watch a two and a half hour trailer? Thankfully, I love this movie enough that, I, I can still be fine with it, mm -hmm. but I'm more conflicted than I was with Fast X because I didn't like Fast X. So it was easier for me to go, well, this really just sucks because I just sat through something I, for the most part, didn't like just to be told I still have to finish the thing here. At least I want to see Beyond the Spider-Verse because I love this, but I, it'll be a while if because that was the defense for a lot of people, such as I'm sure Masaki. Well, we knew it was going to be a two part. I had, I legit forgot. I had no told. idea either. So when somebody's like, I, Oh, I, did you know there was going to be a third? Okay. I try to go into things blind. And if you're not going to give me a complete movie, I'm going to be angry about it. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so. so Masaki, again, we rambled. We keep doing that. We're Masaki, sorry. let me you ask you something, about though. The what did, yeah, what did you think about the cliffhanger? More importantly, did you like Indie Spidey? It, it, India Spider Man. India Spidey. Yeah. yeah. I did. Yeah, I thought he was pretty cool. It was, a, it was mm-hmm. uh, refreshing. I, the thing I did not expect at all. Okay. How did I, you feel about it? Mm, uh, I liked it. I think I liked it. I'm not even sure, to be honest. But, uh, ah, he's conflicted main- like me. I like it. I mainly <laughs> liked it, but at the same time, I was just so upset about knowing that it's going to hit to be continued screen that I wasn't really thinking about the cliffhanger. I wasn't really thinking about Miles is your prowler now. I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just thinking about I got to wait until March of next year. Hopefully, like, because it's probably going to get delayed. Then they're going to say, oh, we're making uh, Decay Dynasty or whatever. Well, I don't (laughs) think they would delay it for that because this is a Sony thing. I mean, even if there's crossover, that wouldn't affect that too much. I'm just saying that because this got delayed from last October. Now, granted, it probably got delayed because they wanted to maybe also finish up with Beyond the Spider-Verse and didn't want wanted that. You having know. us wait too long, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, or just they, who knows if Beyond was supposed to come out in October this year, and they might have thought that was too close for them to work because remember Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions? Revolutions didn't do well because it came out too close to Reloaded. Yeah, they were like uh, six months apart, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it that was, was May mess. and then November. Yeah, what that, a dumb decision. Yeah, that was real. And honestly, <laughs> on a much lesser degree, I think that played a big reason why Child's Play 3 didn't work because it came out like nine months after Child's Play 2. Like, you got to give people at least a full year to recoup and. You know, yeah, but, at least, but listen, at least, quicker. at least Child's Play 3 wasn't two hours and a half. Oh, no, okay. that's true. That is true. <laughs> and here's the thing I, if it wasn't. In hindsight, it almost hurts it because now that I know you were splitting it into two movies, I'm like, well, maybe we should have just did two hours because I didn't have much of an issue with that length. But the reason I started to feel it was around that two hour mark was because I noticed I felt like I, I feel like we've been here for two hours. But like you said, there's no way this wraps up in 20 to 30 minutes. And that's when it started to dawn on me. Wait, didn't they originally say call this part one? Uh, but then I think when they delayed it, they just dropped that. Yeah, and they, were they weren't part one and part two. Yeah. So, and at least there, but, like, but you know, there there was a ton of repetition in each universe. It was kind of like mm-hmm. hammer, boom, boom. As entertaining as it was, like I yeah. don't get me wrong, I was highly, highly entertained, and I think that the sum of it, of its total negates my complaints about the film. So, yeah, Misaki, any other thoughts? Mm, nah, not really. Actually, one I think I like uh, Donald Glover as Prowler a lot. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that I don't know if he's gonna be the villain straight up, like straight away in the live action Miles. I don't know if that's gonna happen. But um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why yeah, it no, was I- it was really weird to see Donald Glover in in that because. Unfortunately, I had to read this article to realize that he played the character in the in the live action thing that would have become the Prowler if it, it. it whatever my head's spinning. But it was nice to see him. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say. Yeah, that. I kind of want a Who Framed Spider Man instead of Roger Rabbit. You know, where he's just yeah. running around having to. I guess we might get that in the next one. Uh, mm-hmm. I will be curious though, especially once after Beyond the Spider Verse comes out, and we see how that that helps. Um, how you'll feel about this months down the road 
uh, Masaki, because I know you have turned a corner on No Way Home because you thought it was like once you revisit it's a theater like, experience. It's really yeah. Cool. You, to watch it. Do you, I wonder if like this would have the same or not? I think it being animated, being so varying, will help it. But it's a curiosity. Oh, yeah. I don't think like, it will be because my theater was kind of boring when it was, and Harper was ignore annoying me. Okay. <laughs> But I'm just Actually, saying, in general, the revisit, you, you get different experiences rewatching something with No Way Home once the the gimmick almost wears itself out. Like, oh my god, all three Spider-Man are together. You said on a revisit, it doesn't hold as much weight. Yeah, because yeah, uh, it was kind of a surprise, but this one, uh, I, okay. that, I don't know. The, I kind of expected something multiverse-wise because I knew it was Sony, so I knew they yeah, were... Yeah, really and, and you knew that it was just like the first. I mean, that's the whole point. Yeah. So it, you felt like since they didn't have to hide that idea so much that they worked it in better. I'm just curious. Like, I think you still will, but... So my my theater... Um, I didn't see a lot of little kids except for the one in front of me and the mother ended up having to take the kid out of the theater because yeah. he was losing his shit. And that like, must be great because there was a baby sitting next to me and he <gasps> kept basically trying to grab yeah. onto my hand thinking I was Aww. his dad. Oh, that's cute. He thought you were Spider-Man. And then kind of annoying me. Spider-Dad. <laughs> Spider-Dad. Oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Peter Parker bringing his daughter into action. Peter B. Parker. That was cute. That was cute. Also, that's that's why I thought I, I caught myself because I was like, I wonder if Brad does that with his kids. <laughs> Dresses them up in Spider-Man yes. suits and... But my my theater screening was full of clearly Spider-Man mm -hmm. uh, comic book enthusiasts and lovers because there was a lot of gasping and and they queued it up for me. I was like, OK, this is significant because mm -hmm. I would hear people go, oh, oh, yeah, and like clap and stuff like that. So so that was mine. The majority of it was older. There was only a couple of kids. What I find funny and thankfully where I was at, I didn't hear them much, but the kids were probably the most well-behaved. Like they were just entranced by it and enjoyed it. Some of the uh, late teens, maybe early twenties every now and then would on the phone talking. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they were on the phone. I could just hear them. And sometimes it didn't sound like they were, or they were just kept going. They were the ones that kept running up and down the damn aisles. So the darn aisles, not the kids. I, like, so who knows, maybe it being so crazy or the ADHD mind might help the kids, you know, because <laughs> that might keep yeah. them more focused. Or at least they did in my I'll screening, but. Also, Some of the, the older ones were having issues, surprisingly. I was convinced, um, and I had to read an article to figure this out, but there is like a very, very emotional Spider-Man that almost looked like Nick Cage, and I was convinced it was like Nicolas Cage as Spider-Man. Do you remember this character? Spider-Man, he's Spider-Man Spider so Wait, he's, oh, wait, are you talking about Scarlet Spider-Man? Uh, apparently the character's name is Ben Riley or something, yes. but he was the yeah, one yeah, who was yeah. like, oh, yeah, oh my funny. emotions, and he's like, yeah. he reminded so, me of Nick Cage, and I was oh, like, is this some dig at Nick Cage? But I had which, no idea about which it. Which it is, it's funny, because Nicolas Cage voiced Spider-Man Noir and Into the Spider-Verse, and likely will and beyond the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay. Okay, but I had to learn about this Ben Riley because I had no idea who he was. Yeah. I think it was just a play on just the over-emotional superhero in general of like taking that mopiness to the extreme yeah that's how i just read which i thought was hilarious and maybe totally. even since you brought up vampires maybe even a dig at like robert pattinson and those kind of vampires that yeah you maybe know. Or, even, or even i guess batman <laughs> too because all he ever does is mope about, which i mean what's that what was maybe that he's talking about dracula yeah. oh. maybe. or like i said <laughs> batman that's me don't, don't ever do that i am <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's all Batman ever does. And I, I don't mean this yeah. is derogatory because if you do lose your parents at age, it's going to scar you. But that's sometimes the comics and the movie adaptations lean a little bit too hard on Batman sad that his parents are dead. It's like, yeah, man, maybe maybe go to therapy instead of just dressing up as a bat. <laughs> just just saying, maybe it's okay. also yeah, I've recovered. Also, riddle me this. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Was there a reason that that Spider Woman had to be pregnant? Ooh. I think uh, it was for Spider Spider Kid. Yeah, I think I, I can't remember if that played. I don't know if I ever read the comics where she was pregnant. I honestly, I just thought it was a gag because there's so many of them. Like, oh, here's one that's pregnant as well. Um, I, I think just, maybe we'll get more and beyond the Spider Verse, but I think it was just supposed to be a funny sight gag. I well, well also because I mean, I just second, it, also because she's maternal. Remember, she's it's a, on the nose, but she's Gwen Stacy's Spider Gwen's maternal keeper. Because she's the one that's constantly trying to go to bat for her. They could have done that without the pregnant baby bump. And all I ha- all I kept thinking was, okay, I know she's a spider woman, so she's stronger and she can protect the baby. But, but I she, I don't know it's how it's I irresponsible felt about to go into a pregnant battle. woman in a motorcycle riding around on the walls and stuff being pregnant. I was like, what? What's happening? I don't yeah, know. It, it, I I had that joke in my head too. I'm like, well, it's kind of irresponsible parenting. But yeah, I think it, it's again, it's a little on the nose. But I think the whole point was they, they could have done it without. But one is a gag, but two to show, you know, how is she going to react to her own kid because here she's yeah. struggling with adopting this child basically, and then having to turn her back on her. Well, again, with the repetition, then we see Peter B. Parker with his kid, mm-hmm. and then that becomes the stepping stone to him talking to Miles about like, you know finding your way and this and that or whatever. So, and I do think to go back to it, I think the repetition is meant to like reflect when you are becoming an adult and you're hitting high school on that, how your life feels like sensory overload. Cause you still have to be a kid, but you also have to start worrying about your future. You have all these different people now, not just your parents coming into your life and trying to guide you. So I think there's a point, but just because there's a point and it works for me, doesn't mean it's going to work for somebody else. That that's always the risk you're going to run. And I think in your case, especially your dad's case, Masaki, uh, it, it may have overloaded you Jose. And I think it wound up feeling somewhat empty or actually I know it felt empty according to, to Sammy right for me it did not it, it hit but I will say that especially knowing that now they split this maybe it could have held back a little bit since you're doing beyond the spider verse anyway oh I felt I felt all of the great emotional beats it's just that like this was probably as exhausting to watch as Black Adam in some ways if not more yeah. so because of the visual <laughs> pizzazz no, no Black Adam was just tiring <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, I think they walked with his workout plan in the movie algorithm or something. <laughs> I, I'll put it this way. I think this was an exciting exhaustion. Black Adam, for most of some of us, was more just a tedious exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. Like my brain hurt for the wrong reason. Yeah, um, exactly. Misaki, any, any other <laughs> thoughts? By the way, I I did download that soundtrack. It's pretty awesome. Oh, it's amazing. I love what, me some. Uh, what is his name? Sway Lee. I love Sway him. Lee? Yeah, I yeah, know it's the best song on there. Right, Dad. <laughs> Sway Lee's not the one that had the McDonald's meal for him. What was that? Sweetie? No, that's Travis Scott. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. There was one like the Shweetie meal. Was that him? The Shweetie. You don't remember the Shweetie meal? It was like seven bucks. It came with like a sp- look. I'm a fast food. I am trying to quit. <laughs> She's a. No. Uh, I want to say like a. Where's Ronald McDonald Spider Man? There we go. There we go. Where's the 
By the way, Spider-Man how- McDonald's toy. Oh God, that would be that. Um, Burger King, so you can't do that. Yeah, but um, I was gonna say that. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, where's the Spider Verse Whopper coming in? <laughs> yeah, where's where's my Spider Verse? Spider Verse. They're saving that for Beyond. It's awful. <laughs> That's up. Honestly, I ate it. It's it's basically just a regular Whopper. I thought I was gonna die. Uh, it's honestly just a Whopper with food coloring and I think a different set of cheese. It didn't taste much yeah, of a difference. That food coloring's gonna get me herpes. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. Sadly, I only know Sway Lee because he duetted on one uh, a Madonna cut on Madame Max. You don't know but, Sunflower. But I love him. I love. We're him. old. Sunflower from well, into the spot. Oh hey, that's me. Um, <laughs> but uh, into the Spider Verse. <laughs> oh my God, Red's going into the Spider Verse. He's blinking. Yeah, we're in back. And out. We're back. I'm back. <laughs> Into the Spider Verse, the I tried uh, changing my canon event. Sunflower into, in, into Spider Verse. Sway so Lee did that. Okay, okay. That one. I, yeah. I could, we're just I we're just old and forgot the names. That's all it is. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's not Death Leopard. I know. I, I well, if you have to learn about somebody through Madonna, I think you're either old or just not listening to the right stuff. Anyway, whatever. It is what it is. Um. All right. Any other final thoughts on Spider Man into or? Uh, Across, across the, the Spider Verse. <laughs> no, I like I said, I loved it. I I can definitely understand the exhaustion. Um, it is overloaded. Uh, I, I I will say this: I was surprised that Samurai, especially because he's a comic fan, felt empty. But again, I think the world needs differing opinions. I may I never think any of them are wrong. I Sometimes, do. like uh, Troy's <laughs> opinion on the ninth configuration, I am astounded uh, because I have a completely opposite reaction that he did. Um, but, but I still like that being out there. I can kind of see where pe- I can see where people are coming from, but outside of the ending, which I'm still having some conflicting feelings on, I, I was absolutely in love with this. Uh, it all worked for me. It, it hit in emotional moments, even if they were familiar. I don't know. There was just the animation, I think amplified them. And that's what animation should do. It's a different medium. Show me something or use your style as the substance, as opposed to just being styled. And in this case, I felt the style was the substance nicely. And it's a watch. <laughs> um, oh yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah. Watch. <laughs> Across all the Spider Verses, yes. it's a watch. And and for me, actually, good point, Red. Just to feed into my um, uh, opinion of this is animation is unlimited. I mean, clearly, you can do some things that you would not be able to do in a live action Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, and they just really, really maximize on it maybe too much in my opinion but it's 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 a wonderful medium and they do a great thing with it it's a watch for me even with my little criticism over it being uh visual crack cocaine um, <laughs> so definitely a watch misaki final thoughts watch. yeah watch Watch, yeah, well, musical watch. Where's my? Oh my god, where's the uh, the Spider Man? Uh, what was it? Turn off the lights. What was that? The Broadway. Turn debacle? off the dark. Turn off the dark. Yes. Uh, where, where is that? He's got to appear in Beyond the Spider Verse, right? Um, I love that soundtrack. By the way, I love it. Reeve Carney, amazing, so good. Apparently, the soundtrack wasn't the problem. Turn off the dark. It was everything else. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Misaki, what's going on with your YouTube channel and your band? Did you do the? Did you do that presentation, oh, Battle of the Bands, something or other? Did it come up yet? Battle of the Bands. What were we doing? That? I don't know. Were you doing like a uh, open mic? Yes, I, I that's think that it. was in a different uh, universe. 
a different multiverse. A different Masaki verse. I'm selling out cells in Greece right now in another universe, but uh, no. Uh, YouTube channel? Nothing. That's normal. I don't think anything is going to go back up there. Did your open mic happen yet? No, it's not happening. We're not doing it. We ran out of time. Oh. So, we had bad scheduling stuff, but... Will there be another chance? I'm sure, but I don't know when we would do it. Band-wise, we're... I think we're adding somebody else. Sweet. To be the for real lead guitar, because I don't think I can play a Van Halen solo while singing it. Now, are you out for the summer so you can go get the ice cream man? Oh. Uh, (laughs) I don't don't really know. I'm feeling unchanged right now. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, summer nights might call for it. There you go. There you go. Uh, All right. So... If we got it wrong, although I think I think we all really, really did appreciate this, even if our eyeballs were sucked on by lamprey eels. I think we all loved it. Um, But, you know, if you have other opinions about it, please reach out to us. You know, you can always reach us on our social media. We are at Watch Skip Plus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Like I said, if you interact with us on Instagram, you're probably talking to me. If you're on Facebook, you're probably talking to Red. You can email us at watchskipplus, spell out all the words, no punctuation at gmail.com. Please also feel free to record an audio clip or leave uh, uh, or send us a voice clip by any means through our DMs or even through email. If uh, And please, please, please leave a review. That really is how word gets out about our um, podcast. And when I say word, I mean... Skynet's algorithm, you leave a review and then it sort of like fosters us into other people's suggestions. So please leave a review. We hope it'll be five stars, but even if it isn't, leave constructive criticism. We we are open to that. We we love it. So, I mean, that's what our podcast is about, right? Constructive criticism. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 100%. So, yeah. So if you love our podcast, you would absolutely love our Podfathers, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Go Samurai. Misaki's pointing to him. He's too involved in... What is he watching? It looks like some sort of crime film. Euro crime. Is it a video Uh, game? uh, He's watching CCTV footage, actually. He's watching 1800 slavery footage. What? What? (laughs) No, no, no. There's a subway there. There's a car. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway, for... For those of you listening, Misaki's on his father's setup, and we can see his father in the background yeah, watching. Actually, it looks like an Asian crime film. It looks anyway, like a BTS music video. <laughs> yes, which I didn't take your father as a BTS fan. Anyway, if you love if you love our podcast, you'll love our Pod Fathers: The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and Not a Bomb. Also, the OGs, the Night of the Living podcast. We also love Wild Dream Podcast with Daniel and David, Death by DVD. Across the Pond, we have the Raiders of the Podcast, Backlook Cinema Podcast with Zoe, VHS Files. They also have a YouTube. Check out those guys. They're fabulous. Silva and Gold, Cult of Muscle, Feminine Critique, and Married with Clickers. And Red. Well, I hope that my uh, horse husky voice was fine for all of your ears, and hopefully it'll be back to should be back to normal next week. <laughs> we hope that you love us across all multiverses. Yeah, always listen and never skip, and that you remember that you are the plus. I tried to sing that, but it didn't quite work. Yeah. <laughs> almost, almost. 
Be you know, I hope in my multiverse, I'm a stunt person and acting. Who would you be in your multiverse, Misagi? Michael Jackson. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I like that. I like I'm that. Red. Oh my god! <laughs> what? Lost every bit of my ear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just became Helen Keller in one second. I that was scary. The whole episode. Let's write. Let's rewrite a Mr. Bill script. <laughs> oh, you should read it <laughs> across the Billverse. Across the Billverse. <laughs> oh no!